Welcome to Viva La Vulva, the podcast that explores and teaches about the goodness of the vulva. Here is your host, Dr. Kara Quant, an internal medicine doctor and advocate for female sexual health. Welcome to the Viva La Vulva podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kara Quant, and today's episode, I have a special guest, my mom on the episode and we are going to talk about everything related to the vulva and her reasoning behind or her just her power and her uh, reasoning behind having all of us children at home <laughs> without any anesthesia or anything like that so i wanted to bring her on and i just wanted to welcome you to the podcast mom hello everyone and thank you for having me So I have had conversations with my mom and a lot of other people have had conversations with her as to the reason why she decided to give birth to all five of her children at home. And so I just wanted to ask you, mom, like what, what was the, the motivation behind that? Like, what, what, yeah, what was the motivation behind that? The motivation behind that to me was at the time when I gave birth to my first daughter, it was in 1975, and I saw my sister, who's a couple years older than me, she had uh, had a couple of hospital births, and I did not particularly like the the treatment that she got. I mean, she was not free to kind of roam around in the hospital. She wasn't able to kind of roam around and have a natural kind of a birth kind of a process. I mean, she was kind of strapped to the bed. You know, they had all kind of monitors on her. And to me, I just didn't seem that to be natural. Mm. So when I uh, first witnessed my sister and she put the idea, planted the thought in my head about giving birth because her third child, she gave birth at home. And I was a part, I was a witness to that birth. Mm-hmm. And I saw that everything looked very natural. It all went very well. I enjoyed like just kind of being in the home environment and, uh, you know, and, and letting the person or letting her labor as natural as possible without any kind of intervention. Mm -hmm. And it just made me put the thought in my head that, you know, this seems very natural. It's something that I would like to do, you know, in birth. I mean, if my, my mother gave birth to me at home Mm -hmm. and uh, whether it was planned or not, I don't know. (laughs) Uh You never asked her about whether she wanted to give birth at home or not. Right. I'd never had that conversation with her, which I'm really sorry that I didn't, but um, we did not uh, have the chance to have a conversation. Uh, and then because my mother passed away at an early age. And uh, so, no, we never we never got to that point. Mm-hmm. So it was something that I felt that I could do. And uh, and it was just something that I wanted to I mean, I've just always been very kind of a earthy type person. I always wanted things like very natural. Mm-hmm. 
uh, yeah, so that put me on the road to, uh, you know, just discovering my own body. And, uh, you know, and it's like African women or indigenous women that have been doing it for millennia, for centuries. So I just thought that uh, and I felt very confident that uh, I could do it as well. Mm. And I know, I mean, you know, we've had this conversation before and you were saying that there were many people that were kind of telling you otherwise, like, why are you having uh, kids or why are you having a kid at home? You know, you need to go to the hospital. So like what what was your thought when other people were telling you that you should think to do something different than what you you were? What thought you had? I think just my conviction to do what I felt was right for me. Mm-hmm. And it, um, you know, and I, I did get a lot of flack, you know, from um, my, uh, my mother-in-laws, you know, about, you know, why are you doing this? It's just like, you know, all of the things that could possibly go wrong. And, you know, it's just like, why are you putting yourself through that? I mean, don't you want anything for pain? You know, it's like, what about the baby? It's just like, and I don't know. I just, didn't feel that I needed to really listen to them. I just felt that this was something that I wanted to do for me personally. Mm -hmm. And that was what I was going to do. I was very headstrong and, uh, you know, just on my own path at that time. And I just was not going to do it any other way, but the way that I felt that was good for me. So it was that determination and will that just kind of kicked in and just a belief in myself mm. at the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what was the process? So you did have a midwife, right? You didn't do it completely by yourself. So like, what was the process of, of finding a midwife and someone that you enjoyed? Take me through that. I did do some research. And uh, I found this place in Santa Monica that did uh, natural, um, the midwife who did uh, natural uh, childbirths. And uh, she had been delivering babies for like 30 years. And my first one, though, my first home birth, the doctor actually was going to have her. That was a thought in my head to have her in the hospital. But the thing is, when the, um, what do you call it, the obstetrician that I was seeing mm-hmm. told me that, well, you know, chance I'll see you through your prenatal uh, to the point of when you're about to give birth and then another doctor will take over and actually do the procedure. Mm-hmm. I just thought, well, you know, I've built this whole relationship with you. You know, why would you then have someone else deliver the baby that I don't even know of? You know, it's like we've had this whole conversation and you know, now it's going to be somebody else that's going to take over. So that kind of really like kind of upset me because it's just like, you know, I've been with you all this time. I've been sharing my feelings. You know, you've been uh, really kind of looking after me. And then now somebody else is going to deliver the, ba- deliver the baby. So I did not like that. You know, mm-hmm. so that kind of put me on to, you know, doing some research. And then a friend of mine or even my sister turned me on to, a midwife who was a male at the time who delivered babies at home. Mm-hmm. So my first pregnancy, it went really good. Then a delivery, it was challenging because I was in labor for like 24 hours. Oh my gosh. And uh, 
it got very, very, very intense, you know, but I still felt that I was, I could do this. I was determined, you know, and it all worked out. There was no complications at the end, but, uh, it was an experience. I believe me, I did want to, you know, ask for some drugs, you know, <laughs> I was going to ask, was there at any point during the 24 hours of, of labor where you're like, just take me to the hospital or, you know, or anything like that. There was a point where I was <laughs> like, oh my goodness, you know, because it was like everything, the labor was very active. And then at some point it stopped, you know, it kind of slowed down, you know, and it's just like, you know, and I was pretty much exhausted by that time. So when it kind of kicked in again, it's like, okay, you know, somehow I found that inner strength to kind of just keep going and however I had to do it. I think I got to the point where I was on the floor, you know, crawling around, just trying to, you know, just deal with the pain. And it's just like, you just get into such a zone oh. that it kind of just, and you just kind of are into your own, your own space. Um, but everything, everything worked out, you know, there was no episiotomies. I didn't tear or anything like that. And this was the first one. It took me an hour to push your head out. It all worked out very good for me. It worked mm -hmm. well. Yeah. And I had uh, friends and supporters who were there. My sisters were there supporting me through the process. Mm -hmm. A little party afterwards. And it was a great celebration, you know. And um, I said that, you know, it's like it's something if I, you know, get pregnant again, this I would do the same process because to me, it just felt right, you know. And, um, right for me. You know, I mean, I can't say that every woman would choose something like that, but for me, it was, it was a beautiful experience, you know, even through all the pain and no drugs or anything like that. I was, I, I felt very good afterwards and I was just really, you know, happy that I had a healthy baby and I was feeling good. You know, in fact, I was up the next day, pretty much just kind of walking around and you know, and I think just having that being at home and it's just like you're in your own environment, you know, all the things that are around you that surrounds you, you know, it's like stuff that gets you peace and stuff like that. So it worked out really good for me. Mm -hmm. So you thought right after, if you have another kid, that you would do the exact same thing. There was no hesitation about that decision. There was no hesitation. <laughs> no. And that, I know and a lot of people say, you know, I really admire you because, you know, that to me is really crazy. It's just like, <laughs> how could you, you not want something, you know, because the pain gets very, it gets very, very intense. Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, most of the, the uh, labors that I have gone through, I don't think I've gone any less than, you know, five or six hours in, you know, in labor. Mm -hmm. I had a cousin who's had babies like in, it seems like an hour or so. I mean, it's just like, they seem like they give birth immediately, you know, and uh, everything, you know, just kind of, you know, worked out the way it, it did. But yeah, I had no problem making that decision that I would do it again, you know, and mm -hmm. that's what I did. Four other times after that. Four other times. Four other times after that. And did it get any easier for the second through the fifth? I don't think it got any <laughs> The labor was a little bit shorter, maybe each time, but 
it didn't get any easier. You know, it was the same intensity of the pain, you know, but I I had the love and support of family around me that, you know, that kind of keeps egging you on and, you know, and uh, knowing that you can do it, you know, is that you can do this, you know, and I, you know, like I said, it's just, you kind of get into a zone and it's just like, it's just something that, you know, you've been sort of like in training, preparing yourself mentally and physically because you know what kind of pain that you're going to be dealing with. So I think you just kind of prepare yourself mentally, physically, spiritually mm-hmm. to, to endure, you know, mm-hmm. like anything, you know, kind of in life where you try to, you know, get ready to, when you're going to go through this marathon of a, challenge in mm-hmm. life I think you, you yeah you start preparing yourself and getting ready for that moment although it's kind of hard because you know dealing with pain that intense pain it's like you know how do you get through that mm-hmm. yeah and so, did you um I mean for the first one did you read any books or did you like how I guess did you prepare besides I, I mean, I get, you know, you said mentally, but, you know, how, how did you prepare? Like, what did you know to expect? I, well, the, uh, the midwife sees you every month, just like a regular doctor. Mm. And they kind of tell you, you know, uh, what's going to be happening. And they do tell you that, you know, if they see any kind of complications, they will have, they do have a backup plan where they will call an ambulance and take you to a hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, so all this stuff is talked out during your prenatal visits and stuff like that. And I also read books. I mean, friends gave me books and stuff. I also did research, you know, um, at that time on, you know, home births. It wasn't a lot of home births at the time, <laughs> but, uh, but I was able to find some information out there on giving birth at home. Mm-hmm. So I did do my research. I did have some really good midwives that really were very informed. And uh, they, you know, kind of walked you, you know, kind of through the, with the process, what they were going to do. You know, they usually were very good and informative about uh, just the whole process, you know, what, what was going to be happening. And they sometimes had like a, an assistant with them as well, you know, the midwives. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, so it was encouragement on all levels. But yes, I did my, my research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then witnessing also my sister go through it, you know, so mm-hmm. it was very powerful. And I just believe that, you know, that it could be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that there have or there were complications uh, during one of, or at least as far as I know, one of the pregnancies. Can you take me through that? There was what I believe it was, let's see, was that my third? Mm-hmm. No, the fourth one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I started having like a bag labor, which is, um, can be really difficult because that means that the baby is has turned around and is going like the wrong way. They're heading back towards the back, towards the the I guess the, the maybe towards the spine or something. And it took a while, you know, for and the and the midwife 
really kind of worked with me on that because I, that was really, really intense pain. But still, I didn't want to, you know, have any drugs or anything. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, they do different maneuvers to try to get the baby to turn. And that's just either, you know, you have to keep standing on your feet, you know, you're walking, you know, you're crawling, you, whatever you, you know, not crawling, but on all fours mm-hmm. to try to get the baby to turn the correct way. So that was really hard. That was hard on me. But, you know, I had, uh, you know, family that was kind of holding both arms up, you know, <laughs> under my arms if I had to walk, you know, and, uh, you know, people rubbing your back and, you know, and then uh, just kind of massaging you and, you know, helping you to get to that point of when the baby finally turns around. When he finally did turn around and then it was time to, to push, there was a problem that the umbilical cord was around his neck. Mm-hmm. And sort of, I could see the alarm on the midwife's face, but she was very calm. And she worked with, you know, getting the cord loosened around his neck. And it, it all came out well. Was there a point? I mean, I know it, the midwife was concerned and kind of showed the concern but was there a point where it's like oh you know like let we're thinking about or i'm thinking about sending you to the hospital you know that never came up Mm. and uh you know and i think because she had been through you know because we usually discuss a lot of the scenarios that kind of could happen and you know, uh, how long she would let you go through labor, you know, if she saw some sort of complications or at sort of at the end when the baby's there, if there's a problem, you know, then she would call the ambulance and have, you know, send you to the hospital at that point. But I think it was only a concern for a while because she had an assistant there with her. So they both kind of, you know, kind of worked it where they kind of got the cord from around his neck and then, they just kind of massaged the baby and, and then kind of stimulated him to just kind of this and crying and stuff like that. Cause he, he wasn't crying at first. Mm-hmm. And after kind of, after she got the umbilical cord from around his neck and then just kind of stimulated him, then he started crying and stuff, but it was quite an experience. I, you know, and I think maybe because I didn't have any fear at that time, because I think you're, you're so in a different space. <laughs> That you don't realize, you know, I mean, that labor sort of takes you to a whole different kind of a zone, you know. So, so I wasn't worried because I kind of really, I trusted her. And uh, this was like her third one that she delivered for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had this relationship and I, it was just trust and faith, you know, that, uh, that it was going to work out. And it did, you know, and uh the fact that I've never had any episiotomies, I didn't tear in any mm-hmm. of my, you know, uh, my birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was the closest that I've come to just feeling just a little kind of, you know, uh, tension. But other than that, it was good. Yeah. yeah. And the episiotomy, for anyone that doesn't know, is essentially cutting of the perineum, which is kind of in between the uh, vagina and the anus. And so that is sometimes done for opening up the birth canal to allow for the baby's head to come through. So you said you did not tear. There was no episiotomy, nothing like that. 
Right. And the thing is with midwives is what they do is they use olive oil or something. They would pour it around the perineum and just kind of massage it to Mm -hmm. help to expand, to loosen up, which is what she did, you know. So, you know, she's kind of doing that and that allows the, well, at least for me, you know, I didn't tear because of that procedure that she did. Mm. And then here in the hospital, that's usually like one of the first things that they do, because usually I don't know if the doctors have the the time or make the time to kind of work with the laboring mother, you know, you know, give them that option of not having an episiotomy or not. Mm -hmm. And I, I heard that that could be pretty standard you know, in the hospital. And I've heard of, you know, my friends who have gotten episiotomies, just the pain a week or so after the birth, Mm -hmm. kind of dealing with the healing of that cut, you know, so. Mm -hmm. I am not an OBGYN. I am internal medicine doctor. And so I've definitely seen births happen, especially during medical school. But I do remember there were times where, you know, it was a episiotomy that was done, but I don't know the the standard for when they are done or not. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so how, so for the, th- no, fourth, fourth, my brother, the fourth pregnancy and the, the labor and the complications, how did they know that he was turned around or not in the right position? Did she have like a, an ultrasound or did she have anything? She did. She had a, not an ultrasound, but I guess, um, well, the, the stethoscope. I mean, I guess she checked his heart rate. And, but I think because of where I was as far as in my labor and that I was experiencing more pain in mm-hmm. my back. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I think that's what she knew that maybe he was not, you know, turn in the right position that she was going the wrong way. So that's when she had me do some exercises to kind of help to put him back on the right course, coming back down towards the front, towards the vaginal, you know? So, yeah. yeah, So that I would say took a while because I remember just the intensity of the pain in my back and that, uh, you know, just having to do the exercises that she had me do just to try to get that, the baby to get corrected. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that was like a lot of floor exercises. You know, I remember just kind of like flipping over like on my knees and having my hands on the floor and just, you know, having the baby move. <laughs> having the baby move. And yeah. <laughs> wow. So, what was the afterbirth healing process like? The afterbirth was, it was good. I usually was up like in the next, usually the next day, I pretty much felt good enough to kind of get up mm-hmm. and uh, move around and, uh, you know, and just kind of, you know, get my strength back together and stuff. Usually after the birth, you know, then they delivered the uh, placenta. And uh, that took a little while, maybe, I wanted to say 15, 20 minutes after the birth, then it's the placenta because they want to make sure that they get all of that out, you know, Mm -hmm. so there will be no internal bleeding. Mm -hmm. And all of that went well. A lot of my placentas I kept. (laughs) I used them as fertilizers because I usually planted something like a little tree, uh, you know, 
put it under a plant to kind of help it flourish. Because mm-hmm. I heard it's good soil. And some people do save their placentas for eating. I never did that, <laughs> you know, but uh, I had heard of some people who made like a placenta stew afterwards or something. Uh-huh. Or put it, I've, I've also heard people put it in pills. Actually, I, I would want to know about that. Like what, or have you done any research or like, do you know kind of the background behind placentas? And I feel like there's, everyone has a different take on what to do with the placenta after. Right. And I haven't really read, well, I, the thing I just read about is so you can use it yeah, for like either you can eat it because usually that's what the baby feeds on, mm-hmm. you know, this thing that that's how they get their nourishment, you know? So you can't eat it. You can't use it as, uh, you know, in the soil for planting, you know, it's supposed to be really good, a really good fertilizer. And to me, those were the only two ways that I heard of. Yeah. Yeah. But mine was always to, to kind of plant it. I always wanted to kind of see what it might have even tasted like, or, you know, just to know what kind of stew they could have made out of it. But I didn't go that far, you know, so I pretty much stopped and just, Planting it. Planting it. Thank you. <laughs> and do you like, do you remember what happened to the tree? So you planted it and you put it, there was, you planted a tree on it, on top of it? I planted a tree on top of it. It was a fruit tree. And then it thrived for a while. But then it was like, I didn't, I had it in a planter, you know, okay. a tree. It was a dwarf, like a citrus tree. Uh-huh. And it did bear fruit for quite a while. And then I think when I moved, I don't know. Uh, I didn't plant it in the ground because I was, you know, doing a lot of moving at the time. And uh, I think I, you know, I really don't know what happened. To, <laughs> I don't know if I left it someplace, uh, you know, after so many years and stuff. Yeah. Or if but it was a tree and the tree had fruit and it was a good tree. It was a tree, a little dwarf citrus tree. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, so um, I can't say that I did that with each and every bird. You know, I know I did kind of freeze them for a while, you know, because you can't freeze them for a while. You can't keep them in your freezer, the placenta. And I think later on, yeah, I just kind of planted it in the ground. So whatever ground, you know, grass or whatever, I just kind of planted it just to feed the earth. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've always, uh, I think that women have a, I don't know, like an intuition, a a knowing that can't necessarily be explained. I mean, I think, I don't know, burying the placenta or eating the placenta or, you know, doing something is that, that kind of intuition or that, that knowing that um, it's going to maybe do something, do something for you. Or even that it's good fertilizer, that it's good whatever. So I feel like it's been passed on, you know, from generation to generation of the, of the placenta and and what can be done with it. Definitely. You know, so I'm sure they probably now have other things and ways that, you know, to preserve it or, you know, uh, to, to use it, you know, but, uh, I wouldn't know, but those were my two choices, you know, uh, at the time, you know, but I know it's very, it's very fertile and it's a good thing, you know? So yeah, cause it did help to nourish the baby while it was growing inside the womb. 
yeah, so I haven't really yeah, done too much research on it since that time. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So you going back to uh, you talking about home births versus the hospital and that you had seen your sister, my aunt going through it uh, at home. How many other people around you did you know doing home births besides your sister? Besides my sister? Yeah. Truly and nobody. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I couldn't convince my friends. You know, they were like, they thought I was totally kind of uh crazy (laughs) not crazy but they just thought that i was just that they couldn't go through that in fact it's just that they didn't want to go through that intense pain without something and the only women that i really kind of saw was just women that i had made friends with at the birth center and uh who were doing it you know it was just like who were very open to home births but no, I couldn't convince any of my friends <laughs> thing to do, you know, and it just made you feel really good and just really just one with creation, one with 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 nature. Mm. But I said, you know what, you know, to each his own and you got to do what you have to do for your for your own body to take care of it. And uh, if that's something that you feel that you are not able to complete the whole thing without any kind of, you know, drugs or, you know, whatever, you know, then that's what you have to do. You know, you have to kind of listen to your body and uh, go for, you know, what you know. But yeah, I have uh, told my story to many women and many women just, you know, bow to me and say, you know what, it's just like, (laughs) my hat's off to you. I think that's really great. That's very noble of you. but. (laughs) You know, but I don't think that's for me. So you know, <laughs> I totally, I totally understand, you know, and it's like, you know, I'm not mad at you, you know, but uh, it worked out for me, you know, and I'm, I didn't listen to, you know, people. I mean, I'm glad I didn't listen. I mean, I know people were looking out for me, looking out for the, you know, for my well-being, for the baby's well-being and just wanted everything to be work out fine and everyone be safe. But to me, I just... You know, that was something that I wanted to, and I believed in myself, and I just had to do it, you know, my way. Well, actually, I I want to, so let's talk about minorities, you know, being black and a woman, there's been statistics out, especially recently, that women, especially during childbirth, black women, Asian women, Hispanic women don't have the same outcomes as white women, especially with childbirth. And it doesn't matter the status. You can have a lot of money, you can have no money, and it doesn't matter that the the outcomes are poor for minority women compared to white women. I mean, so during the time of you making the decision to do birth at home, did you have I don't know. I mean, I know you had some bad experiences or at least your sister had bad experiences during childbirth at the hospital. But like, did you have that thought? You being black, was there any of that going on? <laughs> any thought of that? You know what? And and, and I, I guess I have to be honest and say, if it was, I was not aware of it. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that it probably, 
I just didn't feel any element of racial bias while I was kind of yeah. going through that. I mean, I, maybe because I was never really kind of confronted with it because most people seemed or that I came in contact with during my pregnancies, they seemed very optimistic. I mean, the only people that kind of like, I mean, I can't really say that I was really con confronted mm -hmm. with any biases at the time, other than people thought that, you know, that was not probably a good thing to do is like to have your baby at home and, you know, especially, you know, because you're putting your health, you're putting your well-being, your baby's well-being in jeopardy. And a lot of people just weren't into it being maybe a positive outcome. Mm. But there was no, there was no discrimination or anything that you got from being in the medical seeing doctors or, you know, seeing any providers, there's no discrimination that you had confronted. And I have to say, and I'm a knock on wood because it, it wasn't any, because after my first one, when I had gone to the hospital and I was going to do a hospital birth. And like I said earlier, that uh, the doctor that I was going with my prenatal doctor, my, uh, I guess, obstetrician was saying, that, you know, okay, I'm going to pretty much be your doctor up until you give birth. And I just didn't understand why they would say, okay, you're not going to deliver the baby after mm -hmm. you've worked with me all this time. Mm -hmm. So when I switched over and found a midwife, I never felt any kind of discrimination, you know, because I was a black woman, you know, having, a, you know, my baby at home or deciding to have a baby at home. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel any kind of discrimination because of me being black, you know, I thought that they seemed very positive. They seemed encouraging, you know, that yes, this can happen. You can do this, you know, and this is what we're going to do for you. This is how the procedure is going to go. And, you know, we won't hesitate if there is a problem in taking you to the hospital, you know, so if everything works out, you know, that's fine, you know, but yeah, if we see anything, we will take you to the hospital. Mm, yeah. yeah, I never really kind of encountered that whole hospital kind of experience, mm. you know. So I don't know if it would have been any different if I had been admitted and I was a black woman giving birth. I don't know if the treatment would have been different for me because mm. I, I didn't experience that. I didn't have to experience that. Mm, yeah. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's so there are, I think that there is a distrust with the black community from what I have seen from my experience from the people that are around me and right. going to the doctor, you know, I mean, it's not childbirth, but just going to the doctor for whatever reason, it's like, well, you know, they're going to run these tests and they're going to charge me a lot of money and they're going to, I mean, this is a definitely a generalization, but I do see that there are kind of less black people seeking attention than other races. And I think that there is just a, um, a history of issues and problems in the past that have led to that, right. that generalization. Exactly. Well, yeah, no, I, and I totally, I understand that because 
I mean, in when I was going through my pregnancies and childbirth, that was kind of a, I wasn't really dealing with the hospitals. I really wasn't dealing with, you know, going through that procedure. Most mm-hmm. of I was kind of off the path, off the beaten path. So it was a whole kind of different circumstances that I was confronted with. Mm-hmm. You know, and knock on wood, like I said, it was at that time going through what I did in the pregnancies, it all worked out. It was, it was, it was a good experience for me. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, I mean, when I do go to the doctors now, I mean, this is kind of off of childbirth, but, you know, as a black woman going to the doctors now and seeing doctors, I don't feel that I kind of get the kind of care that I would think that maybe, I don't know, maybe a white woman would get or, you know, it's just, it seems like I know doctors only spend like 10 or 15 minutes when you go and visit them and stuff like that. But it seems like I'm always feel like I'm always kind of rushed. It's like they do answer your questions, but it just seems like there's always that, uh, that uh, pressure to, I mean, whatever you have to say, so it's like, hopefully you've written all that you have now before you go in because, you know, it's just like they don't have the time, you know, and it's just like they have to move on. And it doesn't really seem like specialized or mm. not specialized care, but it doesn't seem really bedside mannerish kind of uh, uh, care. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And I think that that has to do, well, it has to do with what system you're in. I think like the HMOs and the PPOs, um, I think that that has a lot to do with it. And I think that there are more pressures on doctors in general, especially if they're working at a a certain facility. Uh, I think that there are pressures to see patients in a certain amount of time. You know, I mean, there are concierge doctors. There are doctors that can spend a lot more time with patients, but I think that usually comes with uh, a cost. Right. Um, for, yeah, and I think that for uh, many people, it's usually a 15 to 20 minute visit, and that's when everything has to be discussed. Yes. Not 15 to 20 minutes. I see, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and I totally understand that, and I get that because, you know, it's like you, you make your appointments and you go in and you, you have this conversation with the doctor. And I know that there are other people that are waiting to also get in to see the doctor as well. So I know that their time is, you know, very limited and stuff like that, but I don't know. And I can't, I, you know, like I said, I don't know. I'm really not, I mean, I like to take care of my health. I do my doctor visits, do my physicals every year and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't know if I really kind of trust the medical. (laughs) Hmm. I mean, and I, I don't say that with any kind of disrespect because I know there's a lot of good doctors and yeah. stuff, you know, and the, and the hospitals are good for a lot of things. But I think from the the prescriptions, the drugs and stuff that they readily seem to kind of prescribe and just some of the, the whole procedures of, you know, just that whole the hospital kind of thing. I always sometimes try to look into alternative mm-hmm. medicine. You know, and I, and I think that's always been kind of my thing is just kind of looking for an alternative other than, you know, going to most. To medication. Yes. 
Yeah. And I think that that is depending on where in the country you are. I mean, I have dealt with medicine in California, especially in Los Angeles. And there's a lot of people that come in and they're like, I want to have an alternative option. And I think that us as Western doctors, uh, we are taught and trained about medicine, you know, what, what medication I can prescribe for this particular issue or infection or what have you. And um, I think that there are a lot of people that come in and they do want the alternative. They don't want to take any medication. And so I I think that it, it pushes me as a doctor, from my perspective, it pushes me as a doctor to come up with some alternative options. Like, okay, well, if you don't want to take this, you know, pain medication, then let's try something else like stretching or warm comp, you know, like warm heating pad or, you know, like there's, there's different things that I have recommended that isn't medication based, but yeah, it, I think that, that, that it is, there are limitations to Western medicine. And I think that is, is one of them is medication. That, Yes, and that's true, you know, so uh, I know because to me, it's just like just the side effects of all of the medications that's prescribed out there. And a lot of my friends I know who's had like problems with their back or with their knees or, you know, something like that. And, you know, they've uh, been prescribed these uh, drugs that, you know, they kind of have gotten hooked on, you know, or addicted to, you know, so. And then it's just uh, a constant, you know, well, uh, they have to keep going back and forth to the doctor to get more because they they keep having the same recurring yeah. problems with their back, their knees or, you know, or whatever, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it's some things about Western medicine. I mean, that's that's good. You know, I did, you know, um, I went through cancer. I had breast cancer eight years ago mm. and, uh, and I went through, you know, like chemo and radiation and. I've since done research on that and to say if it had recurred again, I don't know if I would go through that just because of the procedures of going through that toxic Mm. chemicals in your body. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, you know, once again, it's something that you have to kind of, you know, kind of look into for your own personal health. Yeah. And what what type of cancer? It was a breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so being the person that is an alternative person and, you know, this is, I'm definitely not, you know, trying to give advice or anything like that, but like, what is, what was your thought, I guess, the thought process behind doing chemo, being the alternative person that you are? The thing is, I think at the time I was, it kind of kind of threw me through a loop because, you know, to discover that you have uh, breast cancer. And I went through uh, surgery and then I started seeing an oncologist. And I didn't really get really, really good vibes from my oncologist when I first started going to him. But I thought that, okay, I don't know a lot about this subject. And I didn't really... I really didn't have the information at the time like I do now since I've done a lot more research. And I think uh, it was because I was probably it was fear based that I was kind of uh, running on. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was recommended uh, to this oncologist and uh, he definitely just kind of recommended the uh, chemotherapy and the uh, radiation. And I mean, it was, I really didn't think that he was really good as far as his explanation of just the whole thing and the whole diagnosis and explaining mm-hmm. it and trying to address the fears and you know, uh, just kind of giving you positive information. And I don't know if that's what they're supposed to give you. I guess they're trying to give you the bare facts of what it is, what you're, you're dealing with, you know. And I was just looking for a little bit more positive and encouragement, you know, from him. And I just didn't feel that I really kind of got that. And I guess they don't want to really set you up, you know, if something else kind of comes out or, you know, uh, something else kind of occurred. So it was really just a time of learning for me, just a a healing process that I kind of went through a journey that was very, both scary, very scary, but yet I learned a lot about myself and my resilience and just kind of, just kind of going through that whole process. Mm, Yeah. And I know coming from my perspective in terms of being a doctor, it is, you know, we uh, giving hard information to to patients is not easy. Obviously, you know we're we're humans and we have fears, and yeah, we essentially we have fears, and so I think that sometimes it's hard to reassure a patient, you know, or tell a patient that everything is going to be okay because they have seen or we have seen so much. We've seen things go wrong. We've seen things go right. Um, so I think it really does, at least from my perspective, it does have everything to do with the patient and their thoughts around it and their emotions around it. Like if, if they are thinking positive about their diagnosis, then I think that things go a little bit better than if they're thinking that everything's going to turn out for the worst. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. You know, and uh, I'm a very a spiritual woman and uh and I really try to practice my faith and belief in myself and that we can heal our own bodies you know and it is a thought process it is being positive thoughts and what can I say just a, a belief in oneself uh faith, faith. exactly yeah very strong faith yeah mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and uh I don't know, it was just a lot about that time period going through that. And uh, as you see, I still don't know how to really kind of talk about that, <laughs> you know, that part of my life. But I am a survivor, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. You are free. I mean, not free, but your diagnosis and your chemotherapy and them doing follow-ups, they have not seen any cancer, right? Right. Yeah. You know, Which is amazing. Right, exactly. You know, so it's been it's been eight years this uh, this past January, eight mm-hmm. years, you know. So uh, I knock on wood, you know, mm-hmm. I give faith to God and um, all praises to God. And, uh, you know, and I, I just try to maintain my body temple and try to be good to my body and have a positive attitude, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So that's, I guess for me, that's been sort of my saving grace, Mm -hmm. you know, and just 
living in the present moment, you know, and uh, that uh, that's where I am. Yeah. Yeah. So as we end and I am starting this, this thing with all of the people that I interview, but at the end I have the, the person that I'm interviewing or the guest tell me about something uplifting for the audience in terms of the vulva from your story or, you know, just anything to leave the audience with something uplifting about the vulva. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) No pressure whatsoever. Something uplifting about the vulva. Mm -hmm. That it's a miraculous part of the female anatomy. Mm. That it gives us just such power and strength that we probably don't even know that we have, you know. But it's just that that trust and belief, you know, that we do have the power. We are strong, strong beings. You know, we can, if we just kind of believe in ourselves, believe in our bodies, you know, that uh, things will work out, you know, and just having that faith and knowing that, you know, it's all good, you know, and uh, just the bowl is a very, very, powerful part yes star yes viva la vulva viva la vulva is correct exactly (laughs) well i thank you mom for being on the podcast and just telling people uh the magnificence of the vulva in your story about giving birth to all five of your kids at home without any medication um and so i just appreciate you so much and i love you well i love you too and thank you so much this has been quite an experience for me you know my first podcast and i thank you for (laughs) i thank you for inviting me yes thank you thank you all right all right then (laughs) 